0: Let's speak that name together, showing Jesus. Speak it again, would you? Jesus. Wow. God, thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. Be glorified, even as we speak it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Pray with me, would you? Wow, God, thank you so much that you give us access to all the glory, all the power of eternity. And that that access comes through the person and work of Jesus. And God, thank you that that you give us this privilege, not because of our worthiness, not because we have somehow earned the right to speak the name. No, it's out of our desperation. It's out of our brokenness. It's out of our, our failures and our shortcomings that we cry out the name Jesus. And God, we believe and declare that his Power is sufficient when ours is not. We believe and declare that His grace is sufficient when ours is not. God, we believe with all of our hearts that that His future is ours because of what He's done for us. And so, God, thank you for the privilege of coming before you. We confess that we are burdened by many things, Father. Uh, many of them uh, relational. We're in broken relationship with people that we care about and we cry out in the name of Jesus that you would grant us humility, that we could not allow anything to come between ourselves and someone that you called us to be in relationship with. Father, we think about those who are in physical trials. We think of Chris's friend, Lord, uh, desperately trying to recover from that car accident and and we just, we just cry out for those in physical trials. Declare yourself glorious. Prove yourself glorious. And God, thank you for those little moments like today when you've granted us Michael back in our presence, God, uh, that, that, that we see the fruit of those physical miracles that we have been crying out for. So thank you that you care about our relationships. Thank you that you care about us physically. Thank you also, God, that you are doing a work in us, preparing us spiritually for eternity. We confess that we don't always enjoy, God, the, the process that we have to go through to be conformed to the image of Jesus. But we believe that, that the price is nothing compared to the glory, God, that shall be revealed. We, we believe, God, that you are worthy of our trust. And if you have allowed us to enter into these trials, these tests, even these temptations, God, you also will and have provided a way for us through them. So, Heavenly Father, even as we gather here, your spirit has prompted areas of our life that, that we need these things. Would you grant us, God, that mustard seed of faith to believe that Jesus has already accomplished everything that we need for these things to happen? And we put our faith not in ourselves, but in him. And, God, our great prayer is that that we could see Jesus today. Our great prayer is that we could hear his voice. Our our great prayer is that we could access the power of his Holy Spirit. God, our great desire is that he would be lifted up. Hmm. Yeah, we know that that's true. Then nothing we face will be able to stand before the name of Jesus. Oh, we love you, God. Would you open our hearts and our minds to your word? Holy Spirit, would you move freely through our lives, just gently bringing to the surface those things that are yet unsurrendered to us, to you. And then, God, would you grant us the power through your Holy Spirit to courageously face the challenges of the day, knowing that you have already provided for us. We love you, and we pray your richest blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you open your uh, Bibles to um, 1 Kings today? Jordan's going to read. I'm looking for Jordan. He's probably behind me. There he is. Jordan's going to share with us um, a passage from 1 Kings today.
1: Open your Bibles to 1 Kings, chapter 19, starting in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, and took the yoke of oxen, and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah, and assisted him. The very word of God.
0: To turn to the New Testament, we're going to do a quick um, scan through the first couple of chapters of 2 Corinthians. So after the Gospels, you have the Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians
1: chapter 1, if you would? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and And then it flipped a few pages over to chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The very word of God. Mm
0: -hmm. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not about the vessel, is it? It's been so visible, hasn't it? In our study of Elijah, I I feel a little bit of grief. I'm not sure what it is. Um, it's been so good to revisit the life of this man. I have to tell you that that though we're leaving our study of Elijah today, his story goes on uh, for another eight or nine chapters at least, and um, and and more than that, uh, the effectiveness of his life goes on through the man that he poured his life into. And and so that story continues all the way to today. We're talking about it today, right? Because of his faithfulness. Now I say that and, and we're going to see today, well, that's the title of our, we revisited the title that we started with. Elijah, James says, was a man like us. He was a person just like us. Now, on the front side of our study, I encourage you. That means that the things that Elijah did, you are able to do as well. And I'll, I'll see you, Elijah, and raise you, Jesus. I don't know why I always bring poker terms into this, but I, but I do that right? Because not only, not only will we do the things that Elijah did, Jesus said, greater things than even that I do shall you do. Wow. And Jesus did some pretty incredible things, Elijah did some pretty incredible things and of course one of the guiding visions for us through our study of this the life of Elijah has been that that mountaintop experience not now on carmel but on on mount of transfiguration when he appeared in glory with Jesus so we know how the story of his life And that's what gives me so much hope. Because I can look at the mess that his life is in in our passage today and and realize that's not the final word, right? That's not the final word. It is not about the human being, Elijah, and what he could do or what he could not do, right? It's about the God that he worshipped. It's about the God whose name he spoke. And, and and that's where I find comfort, right? think, God, how in the world could I even think about doing something along the lines that Elijah did or even beyond that, that Jesus did? Uh, and, and I find hope because of the story of Elijah. But let's pick up where we were um, last week. So we've seen some pretty incredible things, right, from Elijah. <coughs> Courageously... Uh, uh, Facing down the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, Uh, as hard as it was for us to look at, courageously obeying God's word and putting to death 850 false prophets who were leading the people astray. Earlier in the story, we saw the amazing uh, waiting upon the Lord for for three and a half years, right? God calls him into ministry, probably at age 30. He has this phenomenal declaration to King Ahab, and then he cools his jets for, for three and a half years, right? Waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord. Anybody relate to that? Anybody been waiting on the Lord for something, right? Maybe unanswered prayer, maybe a, a, a calling, a giftedness that you became aware that God gave you, but nothing has happened with it. Right? Uh, waiting is hard, but Elijah was such a model for us in in that waiting. Well, then we saw over the last couple of weeks that that um, there came a time in his life when he was so. Physically vulnerable, he was exhausted. He was hungry. He was tired, and 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 he was emotionally drained after a phenomenal experience on the Mount uh, on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. That that just one person speaking sideways into his life caused caused him to break down. Do you remember that, Jezebel? Didn't even she could have killed him on the spot? She didn't. She just said the words, "I'm going to kill you by tomorrow," and something snapped. Do you remember that? And 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 we saw that he had just basically run a marathon, then then ran another hundred miles to the very edge of the land of the people of God, left his servant there, and, and whether he was leaving the the domain of Jezebel or whether he was. Leaving the presence of God, he went yet another day into the wilderness, and we saw the love and mercy of God as He compassionately ministered to him. Do you remember the the, the jar of water, the bread appeared, he ate and drank, he said, and, and and slept again, right? And 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 the angel said to him, "The journey is too much for you, Elijah." Right. And, and the scripture said in the strength of that nourishment, the physical nourishment, he went another 40 days and nights into the very presence of God. We know now that he went to the very mountain where Moses had been. Remember, our whole theme for this has been mountains and valleys, right? He was in the valley. God called him back to the mountain of mountains, that, that place where his glory had first been revealed to the people of Israel. We saw that, that God revealed himself powerfully in the fire, in the earthquake, in the wind, right? But 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 it was in the still small voice that, that God called to him. And the still small voice repeated the thing that he had said to God forty days before. The still small voice said, What are you doing here? What is your purpose, Elijah? Right? And and we saw last week that twice Elijah repeated the half-truths that he had begun to believe in his heart, that, that there was no one else but him, that he alone was left to worship God, right? That brings us to, to our passage today because, because effectively Elijah had taken himself out of God's purpose for him. But God called Elijah back to this, this beautiful, now I'm going to call it a recommissioning. Uh, he, he, he said, uh, Elijah, uh, I know that you're tired. I know that you're weary, but I still have meaning and purpose for your life. I want you to go back. I want you to go back. Back where? Back back to Syria. Back to Jezreel. Back to the very places of his fear." Back, back to the places that he was running from. And and I have meaning and purpose for you there. And God, I pray as we look again at our dear brother, Lord, who was a person just like us, uh, that God, somehow through your word, you might reveal to us how we, uh, whether in moments of mountaintop joy and glory or... or or deep, deep depression and anxiety. God, wherever we find ourselves, we can find the mercy and grace uh, to move forward. So God, again, I thank you for your word that it never returns to you void. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, what do you do? What do you do uh, when your confidence is shattered? I don't know why it just flashed over my mind. Um, maybe because I just saw again recently the sequel to Top Gun. But even as I said that, when your confidence is shattered, I had a vision of, of Tom Cruise's um, officers uh, saying to him, Tom says, What are my options? I'm a mess. What are my options? When he should have engaged, he disengaged. When he should have been courageous, he ran afraid. And and his officer boss says to him, well, here's the deal. Um, you still have all the skills. You still have all the qualifications. But you have a confidence problem, right? Nothing else has changed except you have a confidence problem. That's what the, the movie character said to our hero Tom Cruz in that, in that situation. That's what God, I think, is saying to Elijah. Elijah, my call on your life has not changed. My power has not changed. This was never about you, Elijah. This was about what I can do through one woman, through one man who says, I want, I want you to use me, right? So so let's look from this story. Are there things to know from this story when your confidence is shattered. Yeah, we'll just do a little walk through some of the lessons over the past eight weeks, right? Things to know when your confidence is shattered. First of all, know who He is, right? Remember the outpouring of, of thousands and thousands of, of, of tongues. We, we don't know exactly how many people we're in Israel at this time, but best estimates are somehow between two and a half and three million people, right? Most of them on Mount Carmel shouting who God is. Yahweh, He is God. The Lord, He is God, when you come to that place like Elijah, where your confidence is shattered, maybe a God-directed place where He takes you so that you realize you don't have what you think you have. You don't have what you need to do it yourself. It's not about you. It's about Him. Know who He is. God, Yahweh, Jesus, You are but we learned also in our in our study of Elijah that God draws near to those who draw near to him, right? Elijah would never have had Mount Carmel if he didn't first have Carith, right? The brook, where where he learned confidence in God. He drew near to God and met God first at the brook and then in Jezebel's backyard at the home of Of that widow. James says to us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When your confidence is shattered, when you want to run from God, run to him instead. Run to him. Know who he is and and remember that God draws near to those who draw near to him, but know also who you are. This is going to be hard for some of you. I'm speaking to you, Elijah's, out there. All of you, Elijah's, right? You are a gifted servant of God. You are a gifted servant of God. Paul put it this way in Ephesians. But grace was given to each one of us, right? Each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts. Of, led a host of captives. In other words, he freed those who were chained, not only in, in physical chains, but chains of their own making. And he gave gifts to men. Unless we misunderstand what they might be, he says... To some, he made apostles, right? People that would go into new territories and 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 bring the word of God to places where it's never been before. He also uh, led some. He, he also gifted some to be prophets to speak the truth of God into the culture where they find themselves. And 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 God is still doing that today. He's calling some of you to do a new work to go where the word of God has not gone before. And he's called some of us to speak into the culture in which we are. We don't have to manufacture something. All we have to do is speak truth. And when we encounter falsehood, to to be able to say no. No. Even if you feel like Elijah, like your voice is the only one to say no. That is not truth, right? He gave also some to bring the good news of Jesus. He gave to some to be evangelists, to to share the very simple truths that can absolutely set someone free. God is still in the business of gifting women and men, right? He gave some to be shepherds, pastors. He gave some to be teachers, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. But God is still in the business of giving Gifts and you, beloved, you got to know who you are. You are a gifted servant of the Lord. Do not believe the lie that somehow God passed over you, that somehow God did not gift you with exactly what you need to glorify Him. You're a gifted servant. Let's risk putting those gifts into practice, right? One of the best exercises. For me, and trying to wrap my brain around my gifts was being in small group with people. Many of you uh, did something we call a triad. Do you remember that? And there was a section in there where we talked about our gifts. And in those triads, we asked other people, "What gifts do you see in me?" And I just remember being flabbergasted. At the things that people, and so I wrote them down. I ended up being in about twenty triads over over fifteen years, and 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 just to see um, what the witnesses who were around my life said, how they spoke into my life. Um, if you're not in a place where there are brothers and sisters in Christ surrounding you, speaking into your lives, you can solve that right after this worship service. There are small groups happening all week long and I just encourage you entrust yourself to one of them. I see smiles on faces and what I'm recognizing that to be is that how beautiful those experiences are when you let people speak into your life. So you are a gifted servant of God. Let people speak into your life. Discover what those gifts are. Put them in into practice. But let me just give one little word of warning. You're not just the sum total of your gifts. You're not defined by your gifts. What defines you? What defines you is your relationship to the living God. You are first and foremost a child of God, right? A child of God. When when Jesus, who who modeled for us our relationship with the living God when when he was baptized God spoke into his life you are my beloved son right and i'm well pleased with you and and then and then when when he was on the mount of transfiguration right in Matthew like Fourteen chapters later, when he was nearing the end of his life experience, when he was revealing to his disciples uh, uh, what a living relationship with God was like, God spoke again. Peter was starting to starting to go crazy, and God spoke again. This is my beloved son, right, uh, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. You are a precious child of God because. Jesus is in you. I can say with confidence, you are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved son. you buying this? Why would? I think I have spent my life trying to be beloved son of my mom and dad. And, and I think, <laughs> depending on how much of my childhood they remember, I think that, that they, would, uh, they would affirm that. so much fun to end my conversations with my dad on Zoom and, and hear him say, I, I love you. You're my beloved son, right? Why, child of God, is it so hard to believe that, that God feels the same way about you? Oh, forgive me, I'm, I'm getting rebuked a little bit because I know not all of you had that positive experience. But all the more important that you would find your identity as a beloved child of God, right? If your parents failed you in that regard, if you as parents failed in doing that, that, that's not what defines you, right? You have a Heavenly Father who loves you and who is pleased with you. Would you say with me, my Father loves me. Would you say it with a little more enthusiasm? Say, my Father is pleased with me. You know, as I even tried to verbalize that, my heart jumped a little bit because I know that there's some areas of my life that, uh, that probably wouldn't please God. But you know what that motivates me to do? That motivates me to bring them into alignment, right? Knowing that God is quick to forgive, knowing that, that, that God loves me more than I could ever imagine, I want to live for His pleasure. I, I want Him to be pleased. That's so powerfully motivating for me. So, so we have to anchor ourselves not only in who God is, but in who we are in relationship with Him. You are a child of God. Would you say that? I am a child of God. And nobody can take that away, right? So things to know when you find your confidence shattered. Know who He is. Know who you are. Know that He draws near to those who draw near to Him. But things to do. Things to do when your confidence is shattered. Some of the things that we've seen in the story of Elijah is make his name known. If you are a beloved child of God, wouldn't you want more people to experience that? Let's make His name known, as we saw in 1 Kings eighteen, thirty six. O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Elijah prayed, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I live my life in accordance with your word, right? Answer me, God, so that this people may know that you, O oh Lord, are God, and you're turning their hearts back, right? Wow. Make his name known. There is power in the name of Jesus, right? But especially as we look at this season of Elijah's life, this this. Trauma that he's experienced right here. Remember the call to disciple the next generation. And I use that word generation in a couple different ways. I use it in the sense of the next generation of, of leaders, of prophets, apostles, right? Of evangelists, of shepherds, of teachers, of, of the people that God has called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If, if they're going to grow up, if they're going to be trained, it's got to be us that does it. And I know we understand this. I'm looking around and seeing the parents in this room, right? Some with small children right now. And, and right now you're just absolutely overwhelmed with the task of that, right? Some of us older uh, and grandparenting and, and realizing we can't mess, you can't mess this up, right? Oh my goodness, this is the most precious charge of God that anyone ever received to pour your life into the next physical generation. Not just the next generation of leaders, but the next generation in your family, right? And invest in in that generation. Disciple. Um, teach them. Help them to learn who God is. Help them to become like their, their Lord and Savior. To become like... Jesus. In Elijah's story, I want to pick this up just for a second. We see this Um, in Elijah's story. uh, When uh, he answers God the second time, God says to him, what are you doing here? Uh, This is Dave now, but I'm thinking I'm thinking the answer probably should have been. God, I got I got a little scared. And uh, I lost my bearings, and I ran. But I know now, God, that my calling really is back there and not here in the middle of the Midian Desert, right? Um, And and so I'm going to go back there, God, right? I would love to say that Elijah got that and that's what he said, but he didn't. He didn't. He said the same exact words. That he had said 40 days before. The same exact words. And I, I don't want to read too much into Scripture. In, in your Bible studies, you'll explore this much more in depth this week. But, but I cannot help but wonder if with a sigh, God says, okay, okay, here's what I need you to do. Pardon, this language is fresh on my mind. Before you retire, right? I need you to go. And anoint Hazael, right? Uh, king over, over Syria. I need you to uh, anoint. I love having a Hebrew scholar in our midst. Yehu. Uh, king over Israel. Remember who was king over Israel at the time? Ahab, right? God said to him, I need you to go anoint a new king over Israel. And, and it must, I, I would have spoken it with a broken heart, and I need you to anoint your successor. I'm not really done with you, Elijah. This is Dave speaking now. But if you won't get back in the game, I need you to at least anoint someone who will. And, and I want you to see this in your study of Scripture today. That, um, by the way, he said, go. So God's done go back to the point of conflict and anoint three people to do what you were doing before. Right? And if you look carefully in Scripture, you'll realize that he didn't do it. He anointed one of the three. There were so much suffering as a result of it, right? Does it take courage to follow Jesus? Oh, yeah. Does it take courage to speak the name of Jesus? Sorry to get behind you. To speak the name of Jesus in difficult Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but think about the cost if you don't do it, right? Think about the cost if you won't disciple your families. Think about the cost I get several texts a week from different people in discipling relationships with people in their workplaces. And, 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 and just think about an eternity spent apart from Jesus, right? The cost is so much greater. The cost of non-discipleship is so much greater, beloved, than the fear of of discipleship. So I just, I just want to really encourage you. I think that God has given us an example of, of someone who was not able to do um, what God called him to do. And the cost for the people of Israel was tremendous. Now, did it happen? Is God able to accomplish what He desires? Oh, yeah. If, if you won't step up, God will raise up someone else, right? And Elisha... I know it gets confusing. Elijah. Discipled Elisha, and if you look at the story, it was pretty reluctantly. Elisha was all over it. We saw in our passage today, Elijah. I, I don't have anything I could do this with. Can I use your jacket for a second? Um, so, Elijah, right? Um, God says, "I want you to anoint Elijah, Elisha." And so Elijah comes up and just goes, right. <laughs> And leaves, and leaves like I'm going to do in just a moment before he, before he comes after me. Thank you. Thank you for letting me do that. Um, but that's what he did. But there was, there, was, there was something powerful in that. We'll get to that in just a moment, right? There's something very powerful in what he did. But he was the ultimate reluctant discipler, right? And he still stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's not about you. It is about God, right? And what God could do through one, thank you, through one, thank you, through one reluctant or right? One reluctant person. Uh, I'm going to use you. Elisha says, oh, let me go. This should been ring all kinds of bells for you from the New Testament. Let me go back and say goodbye to my mom and dad, right? And, 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 Elijah goes, what? What did I do? Right? He was the grumpy discipler. Um, like you wouldn't believe, right? And he still stood in glory with Jesus. Where am I going with all this? Um, uh, you need to know who you are. You need to accept the call of God on your life, right? To, to make his name known. I'm thinking somewhere in one of these pews are my glasses. Yep. Um, to make his name known. But, but, but he also has called you to pass the mantle of spiritual leadership to the people who will come behind you. Create a leadership pipeline of people behind you. One of, one of my favorite examples of this and that you could understand is, is um, our uh, administrative pastor, Kristen, right? She's also our worship leader, right? And there's so many times, I could listen to Kristen forever, right? And there's so many times where I say, Kristen, just you do it, right? You do it. But because she understands this, of pouring her life into someone else, um, we get Miranda, right? Because she understands this, I got to hear Chris sing just a little while ago. I just want to speak the name. I can hear him singing it right now. Right? Because she's passing that mantle of leadership on to someone else. So her her calling is worship leadership right here. She's doing the same thing with administrative leadership. Um, but but um, my question for you is how are you passing that mantle on? Don't do what I did to Randy and just chuck it at him and leave, right? Um, make disciples who make disciples, right? You then, Paul said to Timothy, his own disciple, my child... Echoing God's perspective on him. Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In uh, in other words, this this is like paying it forward. This, This is a multiplication process. And God is calling you to do that in your home. He's calling you to do that in our faith community, in your spiritual family, the church. He's calling you to do that in our community as well, right? Make disciples who make disciples. Pass on the mantle of not only spiritual life, but but of spiritual leadership. But don't miss this from the story of Elijah. Pass also the anointing of God's Spirit. Right. Because if you just pass on leadership without the power, it's a recipe for disaster. Right. We didn't read the passage today, but if you read the next 15 chapters into Second Kings, you'll see that that when Elijah was finally ready to go meet the Lord, we don't know how long that was, five years, 10 years. See, he thought he was done. And God wasn't done with him. But when he was finally ready to do that, uh, he tried to, to do it quietly, to leave quietly, and, and Elisha followed him everywhere he went. And he finally just said, what is it? What do you want? And, and Elisha said, I want a double portion of the Spirit of God in you. Right? I want a double portion of that Spirit. That's the anointing. That's the impartation of the Spirit of God. And, and when that happens, when you pass that on, you not only pass on the call to the person, but you pass on the ability to fulfill that call. You pass on the key to following Jesus, being anointed With his spirit. Uh, If you do a word study of that, you'll see that's popping up in several other places, even in our passage today. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Worship team, come on up if you would. Um, There is a new movie out um, uh, called Jesus Revolution. Have you heard of that? It is so weird, those of you chosen fans out there, because we're so used to seeing Jonathan Rhoomy, the actor, in the Jesus role, and in the movie he's a he's a hippie, he's in the hippie role, uh, and a hippie who knows Jesus. And um, and Carrie and I got to go see it. I think we saw Miranda in the parking lot as as she was leaving as well. But it was, it's really not the story um, of. Even Jesus is a story of what happens when you do discipleship. Because there was, a, there was a, a person who was so broken and so frustrated that God had not used their life that he was just tempted to give up. His name was Chuck Smith. And this is right about the time of my, uh, my growing up in Southern California. And, uh, and Chuck Smith had a, a church not unlike ours of loving, faithful people. But but the people in Chuck Smith's church wouldn't open their hearts to those who didn't yet know Jesus, right? And they wouldn't welcome them into their church. And then one day, Chuck Smith's daughter brings a hippie into the church. And it's a fabulous story of, of recognizing that it doesn't matter where people come from, what they need is Jesus. And as a result of that uh, seminal moment in Chuck Smith's life, there's now over a 1,000 Calvary chapels around um, the United States and the world. That that movement birthed another movement from one of Chuck Smith's disciples called the Vineyard Movement. We have a vineyard church in town. There's 2,500 vineyard churches. That movement also spawned yet another movement called the Harvest Movement, that has hundreds of churches as well. My point is to say, um, do not underestimate what God can do with one faithful person, one faithful life, right? I said, what about now? What do I do? I've got people in my nuclear family that, that don't know Jesus. I have sisters who... What do I do, right? You might be saying, my children have grown up and left the home. They're no longer under my influence. What can I do, right? I've seen people do that when their kids were middle schoolers, right? Oh, man, there's plenty to do. There's plenty to do, right? But nothing is more important than this. Call on the name of the Lord, right? You can't do this. Elijah clearly, right, couldn't do this. But, but God could do it, right? For nothing is impossible with God. So what are you facing right now, right? Where are you believing the lies of the evil one that somehow you've sacrificed your opportunity to uh, honor Jesus? Where are you crying out, God, I would do this, but but I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I can't do this by myself. Look around. You're not alone. God says to you what he said to Elijah, I've got 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee.